Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. We're here this morning to talk about peace, to talk about war, uh, to talk about Jesus, um, and to talk about hope. Um, And how many of you know who Howard Thurman is? One of my favorite um, writings by Howard Thurman, it's called Strange Freedom. And he says, it is a strange freedom to be seen and called by your name. And when I walked in the door this morning and Tiana and Jimmy greeted me, I don't know if they, well, I know you knew my name, but they saw me and they greeted me and I felt the way that I think Howard Thurman was talking about, that strange freedom that we feel when we are seen and when we are known. And I hope that your experience here in worshiping this morning is that at least in some way, shape or form, at least one person made you feel that way because God certainly sees you regardless of how you're coming, brokenhearted or joyous, angry or frustrated, God sees you. And I promise you, I do not know your name. These days, I don't know my name, let alone my husband's name, but God knows your name and he sees you. And so as we come together this morning to talk about a topic, peace and war, in the midst of this Advent season, it is not an easy topic to talk about. But um, I'm going to talk about war in the Middle East. And you might think, what in the world does this war that is happening in Israel and Gaza, what in the world does this have to do with me? And I will tell you, it has everything to do with you. One, because our country is involved. But even apart from that, the lessons that we have to learn from this war are also lessons we can learn in our own daily lives. And so... um, I pray and hope that you will be gracious with me because these sermons that I have been giving, I've been on the road a lot, uh, and they're not easy sermons to give, and they're, I'm sure, not easy sermons to hear. And so might you be gracious, might God open our hearts to the words that he would have us hear, might he break our hearts in the ways that our hearts might be broken, should be broken. But might we also leave with hope, knowing that the brokenness of the world is not the end of the story, but that in Jesus we find hope. Amen? Amen. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. My friends, right now, here in the United States, our country and our representatives are doing anything but making peace. When we look at everything that is happening in the land that we call holy in the Middle East, the United States is making war. We are killing children, we are killing people, and we are making war not only in this moment, we are making a culture of war that will be played out uh, in decades to come. And so that's what I'd like for us to talk about a bit today. I'm tired already and I haven't even started. (laughs) 
October 7th. October 7th was not only a turning point for the country and nation of Israel, it was a turning point for the whole world. The attacks on southern Israel killed nearly 1,200 people. They were horrific. An additional 240 plus people were taken hostage into Gaza by either Hamas or other militant groups. And this should not only grieve us and break our hearts, these actions should be condemned. And may I say, most of the world and most of the news and most of our political actors, that's where they want the story to end. And that is not even the beginning of the story. It is a precursor to the beginning of the story. A Jewish friend of mine in Israel talks about what it's like to grow up in Israel. She says, as a Jewish person, you are taught your entire life people are trying to kill you. Look at the book of Esther. We see this throughout all of history, thousands of years. How many of you know the book of Esther? The Jewish people in the book of Esther are about to be annihilated. The agent of the king, Haman, wants to execute all of the Jews, but because of Esther's faithfulness, she won the king's favor and the people are spared for just such a time as this, we are told. This is one story of Jewish persecution, vulnerability, but that persists throughout history. The Middle Ages, it persists throughout the 19th century, the pogroms from Russia, the culmination in the 20th century of the horrors of horrors of the Holocaust. Jewish people have been under threat. That is true. My friend was supposed to serve in the Israeli Defense Forces during the Second Intifada, which was one of the bloodiest times of conflict between Palestinians and Israelis in the early 2000s. Palestinians were engaged in violent resistance against a brutal and oppressive occupation, and their mechanism of resistance was violent. Many Palestinians used suicide bombs. And my friend talks about what she was taught her whole life. People are trying to kill you and you would walk outside your door in the 2000s in the middle of this war and as a Jew in Israel, people were trying to kill you. This reinforced an existential fear that exists for Jewish people around the world. The fear of extermination, destruction. The fear is real. And we must, if we're committed to peace, stand up against anti-Semitism. We have to be clear also in differentiating between anti-Semitism and criticism of the policies of the state of Israel. We have to be willing to have real and authentic relationships and partnerships with the Jewish community to work together for human rights, equality, and justice. Now, my friend did not serve in the military because she believed Palestinians are experiencing injustice. Instead, she served three months in a military prison because she believed that the occupation of the Palestinian people is unjust. People might say October 7th was not about anti-Semitism. There were other causes, there were other reasons, but regardless of why it happened, it was a horror. It involved the unjust killing of civilians, and it caused a ripple of trauma for the Jewish community in Israel and around the world that immobilized Jewish people from having empathy. Many of them have no capacity to have any empathy for any perspective outside of their own. Lord, have mercy. Palestinians have a different story, a different history, a different perspective. And we must, as we look and seek to understand this war, understand that it is 
essential that we differentiate between the people of Hamas who committed the crimes of October 7th with the civilians of Gaza, of which there are more than two million people. Almost immediately after the Hamas attacks on South Israel, the government of Israel, led by Prime Minister Netanyahu, began an attack on Gaza and led one of the worst bombing campaigns in recent history. In the first week of war, more than 6,000 bombs were dropped on Gaza. That is more bombs than were dropped by the United States when we were at war in Afghanistan in more than a year. In one week. And this war is now entering its eighth week. In the next days, Netanyahu's government on October 9th, with the unadulterated support of the United States, cut off water, food, electricity, and gas from the more than two million people that live in Gaza. If there is any question, this is not only illegal by international law, it is a crime against humanity. More than 50 50,000 women living in Gaza are pregnant and can't get clean water, let alone food, let alone medical supplies. 47% of the people living in Gaza are children under the age of 18. Prior to what the world is calling the Israel-Hamas war, people in Gaza depended on humanitarian assistance. It took 500 trucks a day for people in Gaza to not suffer malnutrition. Guess how many days it took after October 7th for one truck to be allowed into Gaza? It took from October 7th to October 21st. And then the trucks that were allowed in were only a few trucks a day. In the first days, it was only 19 trucks a day on average, and then 30 to 40 trucks a day, not even beginning to touch the need for water, let alone for food. We are now in the 58th day of this war. The death toll in Israel is about 1,200. It includes 33 children. In Gaza, the death toll is more than 15,000 people, more than 6,000 of whom are children. I could talk to you for a really long time about what the realities are like and what's affecting the community in Gaza, about what's happening in Israel, about how the world is responding. If you're interested in hearing more, I'm running from here to LaSalle Street Church to do a briefing and discussion next. And then tomorrow night, we'll be at North Park University and Seminary. And you're probably like, why in the world is this woman preaching this on the first Sunday of Advent? And how in the world is this a story about hope when we lit the candle of hope? Hope is empty if it does not touch us in the reality of this world. And so we have to be really honest about how broken the world is. From our hearts, to our relationships, to our country, to world, to a world that allows two million people to go without water and without crying for mercy on behalf of those people. What world do we live in? And friends, here's where the sermon gets hard. You have a role to play, not just to listen. 
You have a role to play in bringing an end to this war. We are about to prepare for one of the greatest celebrations of our faith, the good news in the person and the birth of Jesus, the Prince of Peace and the Lord of Lords. And you have a role and can contribute to helping to bring about peace. So what is the answer to this mess that we are living in? The answer of hope that I want to talk for a few minutes about is true for the catastrophe in the Middle East, but it is also true for other areas of our lives. And I will say before I start talking about hope, Israel right now is in an existential crisis. Jewish people right now are suffering, and they have experienced a trauma that makes them relive historical traumas. And so they have a choice of how to respond in the midst of this moment. And it is a complex choice, but there is really only one answer. So their choice is they can continue to respond to this conflict that's been going on for decades in the way that they have been. They've been using a mechanism called deterrence. They have been using the mechanism of war and violence to try to make the world safe and secure for the Jewish people. And has that worked? If October 7th teaches us anything, it teaches us that violence begets violence, that occupation and oppression breeds death and violence and destruction. Violence and war is not the answer. That is one of the choices that Israel has. The other option that they have, which if I may, the world is ignoring, what happens when you turn off water, gas, and food, and electricity for more than two million people? They die. Ethnic cleansing, more, I didn't even talk about the fact that right now 80% of those 2 million people have been displaced and that there is a ground incursion. There's so much about what's happening I didn't tell you. I'm letting you off the hook. And your, and your pastors told me I could preach as long as I want. The second option that Israel has is ethnic cleansing. And many people are actually saying it could be genocide. And I don't care what you call it, but 10,000, 11,000, 13,000 people being killed with bombs that are made by the United States is not okay by me. And I promise you that it is not okay by Jesus. He says, love your neighbor, and not only that, love your enemy. And so ethnic cleansing and genocide cannot be the answer. If war is not the answer, and if ethnic cleansing is not the answer, what is the third option? Peace. Peace. So peace has to be the only answer. And, and we could talk about what that means. It doesn't mean Hamas takes back over Gaza. Peace means laying down weapons and a negotiated settlement. And some people might say, Hamas will not sit down to the table. Well, that's not true. We already have seen more than 100 hostages released because of negotiations with Hamas at the table. And so peace is an option. And it's approximate peace. It's not absolute. It's not instantaneous. And it is really, really hard, just like peace is in any other place in our lives. But peace has got to be the only answer. I'm Irish. I wish it was war. It's a lot easier to punch somebody when I'm mad. <laughs> right? 
But peace is the only answer. And so those are the choices before us. And so the organization I lead, Churches for Middle East Peace, we are calling for a ceasefire. And people call us lots of nasty names because we're calling for a ceasefire. But a ceasefire means laying down of weapons. It means all parties say no to violence. And my invitation to you and the role that you can play, if you're an American citizen or not, is saying peace is the only answer and we are calling for a ceasefire too. There's a lot of things I could say and I promise I will not keep you here all day. Yesterday, I was in Milwaukee, and I was speaking to a number of um, church leaders and some people who had come for a briefing to learn more about what was going on in the Middle East, and a man stood up. He was British. He'd become an American citizen, and he was very proud initially uh, of having gotten his citizenship. He talked a little bit about the history of the conflict in the Middle East and the role that the British had played. And he said that he was just torn up in his heart about now the role that the U.S. is playing in supporting this war. And he got choked up as he was talking. And with tears in his eyes, he just, he almost couldn't even articulate the question. And Anna was with me and I had to say, how did he ask? What was his question? And his question was, in the middle of this catastrophe, how do you find hope? And that's what I want to spend the last few minutes we have together talking about. Hope is about moving forward when there is no hope to be seen. And in this war, and I meet with the White House, and I spend time on Capitol Hill, and I talk to people in Gaza, and I talk to people in Israel, from an earthly perspective in this moment, there is no hope. But Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of that which we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. It is by faith that we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was invisible. What in the world does this mean? It means that in the darkest moment, it is when our faith is really put to the test. Our faith matters when we can't see hope. We don't see a way out, but we're going to hope in the midst of darkness. And we have faith that this darkness is not the end of the story. Might we have eyes to see that which is not visible to see with human eyes, but that the plan of God is full of promises that one day the world will be fully redeemed. When we're at the center of this struggle, it seems like brokenness in the world has won. I don't know if you've had experiences like this in your own life. I have. I had a brother a brother who struggled uh, with drugs, a brother who was prayed for for many, many years, a brother who I loved very, very much, and he took his life to suicide. That is a pain that will not be redeemed on this side of heaven. 
And yet, I have hope and I have faith that God is still present in it. Ephesians 6 says, Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. It is in the darkest moments that our faith really counts. And that is what it means to have hope. Hope is about believing that God is good, even when the world is broken and when we don't see it. The world that I see does sometimes not shout the presence of God. What do we do when a child is hungry and prays for food and no food comes? What do we do in the midst of a war when we pray for peace and bombs continue to fall? We have faith and we have hope that God is still good. Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. We read the scriptures as a prayer and a promise, and we say, I do not allow evil to win, for I know and I believe and I trust that God is good. Good and upright is the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. I would have lost heart unless I believed and had faith and I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Let me hear you say, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. October 7th, the attacks are horrors of horrors. Evil in moments triumphed, but it is not the end of the story. More than 6,000 children killed, horror of horrors. The world is broken. The world is not yet fully redeemed, and yet I have faith and I believe that the Lord is good. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting, says the psalm. We know and the scriptures teach us that hope is knowing and trusting that darkness does not win the day. John chapter 1 says to us, in him was life, and that life was life, light to mankind, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so this is what we hold on to and believe to be true. The darkness does not win the day. Evil is not the end of the story. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. We are preparing to celebrate the light of the world coming into the world in the birth of Jesus. That is the hope that we recognize on this Advent morning. And finally, hope is taking action. Hope is moving forward even in the midst of darkness. Hope is not giving in to despair and moving forward anyway. Hope is even when we don't know whether or not anything we are doing is making any difference, we are still going to take steps to be faithful. We're going to get up every morning and do that which God has called us to do. How many of you have Advent calendars? Oh, come on. (laughs) All right, all right. The second round had a few more than the first. Are they chocolate, wine, or beer? Cheese. Cheese. (laughs) I want to invite you 
On our website at Churches for Middle East Peace, we have created Advent prayer chains. You can print them out at home and put together the chain, and if you don't want to go through all that work, you can still follow them online. I want to invite you to consider every day of Advent calling your members of Congress to call for an end to this war. And we put together these Advent prayer chains so that it would be just like your cheese calendar or your chocolate calendar or your beer calendar or your wine calendar, where as an act, a spiritual act and a physical act, all you have to do, what are those little things called that you put your phone on? Thank you, a QR code. She works with CMEP. I hoped all of you knew the answer. I obviously do not that you would put your phone on a QR code and it will connect you to whoever your elected members of Congress are. And every day there's a prayer. Some days there's a, the name of a child who has been killed. And that every day until this horrific, horrific war is over, you would call on your members of Congress to say peace is the only answer. Violence is not. Bring an end to this war and the United States should no longer contribute. Action is a way that we have hope. Martin Luther King Jr. says that the time is always ripe to do what is right. We manifest our hope in the actions we take. One of the things I say all the time is that despair is the luxury of the privileged. We are too privileged to give over to despair because those who are living in the midst of suffering and war have not given up hope. So who are we to give up hope? And so friends, this Advent, might we be reminded of this. Hope is about having faith even when there is no hope to be seen on the horizon. Hope is about believing God is good, even when the world is so terribly broken. Hope is about knowing and trusting that the darkness will not win the day, but that the light will outshine the darkness. Hope is knowing that we have a critical role to play in working towards peace, in the positive steps and actions we take, for the time is always ripe to do what is right. And so I want to close with these words from the Gospel of John that is truly the hope that we profess. It is the good news of Jesus. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but children born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.